Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter 26 of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. At the White Rat. Mother Margot's footsteps, shuffling, receded along the hall and died away with the opening and closing of the street door. Jimmie Dale stood staring across the empty room. He had not fully realized before how secure was the hold that he, as the grey seal, had upon the old hag. She was afraid of the phantom, or the voice, as she called the man, but she was equally afraid of the grey seal that now appeared, and between the two, unable to steer any middle course tonight, she was a mortal terror. He frowned. He might have eased her mind a little in some way, perhaps. No, he shook his head decisively. Her coming, the story she had told, changed materially, and of necessity, his own plans for tonight, at least for the next few hours. Mother Margot's rooms had interested him only because of the probability that they were the outer portal to the Phantom's sanctum. But at the Phantom's movements tonight, centered around French Jeff and the White Rat. It was French Jeff and the White Rat that automatically, and at once, became the centre of attraction for him as well. And particularly so since, deprived of the kitten's assistance, practically the one remaining satellite, any play that the Phantom made must, leaving Mother Margot out, be made in person. It was the Phantom that he sought. Jimmy Dale stepped swiftly across the room and locked the door then, kneeling on the floor nearby, lifted aside the movable section of the baseboard. He could no more have afforded to risk the character of Smarlinghue by some well-meaning but ill-advised word in an effort to calm her fears than he could afford, after which she had said, to go to the White Rat as Smarlinghue. She was as likely to be there as not. If she saw Smarlinghue there, it would be... Well, she would never again after that have need to fear the Grey Seal." A hint that Smarlinghue was not what he seemed would be the end, swift and inevitable, of the grey seal and Jimmy Dale. He nodded sharply to himself as he stripped off his ragged attire, and, quickly now, removing the little pieces of wax from nostrils and from beneath the lips that distorted the contour of his face, and removing, too, the stain of makeup, began to dress again as Jimmy Dale, in the carefully folded suit which he took from the hiding-place behind the baseboard. Again he nodded to himself. Tweeds tonight. It was fortunate. He had naturally been wearing tweeds that afternoon when he had left his house. The white rat was not usually frequented by gentlemen in evening dress. A minute, two, three, passed. The gas jet, spitting like an angry cat, became suddenly silent. The room was in darkness, save for a queer, nebulous shaft of night-light that came in through the top light high up over the French doors that opened on the small, ill-kept courtyard without. And now a shadow moved and bulked itself against the French doors, and one of the French doors opened without sound, and closed again, and the shadow crept along the wall of the building, and, strangely, like an apparition, disappeared through the fence that bordered the lane. A moment more, and Jimmy Dale, as though Smarlinghue had never existed, 
was walking quietly along the street. His mind was working now with cool, judicial precision, sifting, weighing, appraising the factors of the problem before him. Mother Margot would not be near Thompson Street again tonight. If the Grey Seal's hand appeared tonight, it would be no more than she expected. Whether it was as the Grey Seal or as Smarlinghue that first he next saw Mother Margot, the statement that the Grey Seal had phoned and received his information was wholly in accord with the old hag's own suggestion. He, Jimmy Dale, was free to go at once to the White Rat. He was not even abusing the trust that she had reposed in Smarlinghue. There was something ironical in that. Her distress had been genuine enough, and her story was beyond doubt or question. Who should know better than himself? She had said that later on she might have known where to find the Grey Seal, but that it would be too late then. She had meant, of course, her own rooms that he had that afternoon warned her to keep away from. That statement alone stamped her story with the ring of truth. But why bring distrust of Mother Margot even into question? She had never yet played him false, and tonight it was glaringly obvious that, voluntarily, in the only way she could, though that way depended purely on chance, she had done her utmost to keep her pact with him. He shrugged his shoulders. Mother Margot, as a factor in the problem tonight, could from now on be eliminated. French Jeff and the White Rat, then. What was the game that the Phantom was playing, the key to which, which was all the information that Mother Margot had possessed, was French Jeff and the White Rat? Jimmy Dale was walking more quickly now, threading his way through the more unfrequented streets as he worked deeper into the Lower East Side. French Jeff and the White Rat were equally notorious, the one as a sort of plenipotentiary of crookdom from the other side of the water, and the other as the favourite hostelry of foreign visitors whose credentials were properly visée. This was the understanding that the New York underworld had of French Jeff and the White Rat. Ostensibly, however, to the police and to the public at large, the man was but the quiet, law-abiding proprietor of a small establishment that, while it could not be dignified by the name of hotel, yet, nevertheless, embodied in itself a bar, a restaurant, and a few rooms for guests, which latter to the public were always engaged. Quite so. In the enormously fat little Frenchman and his white rat lay potentialities for evil that were limitless. Suave, cunning in his international affiliations, the man was credited with playing big games for big stakes. That he was successful was evidenced by the fact that for years now he had carried on business without coming under the ban of the police. Jimmy Dale frowned. He, like the rest of the underworld, for his eyes were smiling use now, could only view the man in the large. There were no details to the picture. And this was so, naturally enough, because French Jeff confined himself strictly to his own foreign connections, and stood wholly aloof from local entanglements, no matter how alluring the promise of their reward might be. What, then, was the Phantom's interest in this man tonight? Had French Jeff at last broken his rule and gone in on some deal, working hand in glove with the Phantom? Or was the Phantom preparing, as he so often did, to pick the ripened plums from another's tree? Or was it... Jimmy Dale had halted before an uninviting three-story frame building on the corner of an equally uninviting street. A sign, somewhat battered and aping the continental style, swung in the breeze over the front door. It bore the design of an animal, its species none too easily recognisable, done in white on a green background. The lettering, however, below this inartistic effort, 
was informative. The white rat. Within, as could be seen from the street, the ground floor was a sort of combination restaurant and bar. A few customers occupied tables. A few more were at the bar. Jimmy Dale's slouch head was pulled rakishly down over his eyes, his cravat fleshly tucked into the bosom of his shirt, as he stepped now inside, and, walking up to the bar, ordered a drink. He glanced around him nonchalantly. He had never been in the place before, but in common with everybody else in the underworld, he knew the fat proprietor by sight. French Jeff was not in evidence. "'Ain't the boss around?' inquired Jimmy Dale casually, out of the corner of his mouth, as the barkeeper slid a glass toward him across the bar. "'Sure, he's upstairs on the office,' replied the man, evidently, too, a Frenchman, in broken English. "'You wants to see him?' Jimmy Dale shook his head. "'Nope,' he said indifferently. "'Not hard enough to bring him down. I'd have said hello to him if he'd been handy, that's all.' Jimmy Dale set his now empty glass back on the bar, and with a wave of his hand to the barkeeper, went out again to the street. French Jeff was upstairs on the office. He went on around the corner. The white rat, if it were efficient along the lines upon which it was supposed to run, would certainly possess a side entrance for the benefit of those who, with the necessary credentials, were privileged to occupy rooms there. Yes, here it was. Jimmy Dale opened the door quietly and stepped inside. Even if seen, it meant only that he must then find some other means of getting into proximity with French Jeff. The glib excuse that he thought this was but another entrance to the restaurant, as indeed it might well be also, would be quite sufficient to guarantee an orderly retreat on his part. And then he flung a mental gibe at himself. He was borrowing trouble, whereas, as a matter of fact, he appeared to be playing in wholesale luck. He found himself standing in a dimly lighted hall, rather seedily furnished, and quite deserted. The only sounds were those that sifted through from the restaurant in the front of the establishment, the clatter of dishes, the muffled voices of those at the tables and at the bar. No, he was wrong. From above him, up the stairs that were directly in front of him, his ear caught now a curious, irregular rasping sound. He could not at once define it, as he began quickly and silently to mount the stairs, but halfway up the sound took on a concrete meaning, and a smile broadened his lips. The sound had resolved itself into nothing more than a series of well-defined snores. And now, at the top of the landing, he placed the direction of the sound. Doors here opened off on each side of the hall, and at the far end the light streamed out through one that was open, and disclosed, facing it, the door on the opposite side of the hall to be ajar. It was from the lighted room that the snores emanated. Jimmy Dale moved softly along the hall, keeping close against the wall on the opposite side from the lighted door, and finally paused. From where he stood now, he could just see an angle into the lighted room. For an instant, he stood listening. Then he slipped through the already partially open door beside him that faced the lighted doorway. He was playing in luck, in unbounded luck. Here was a vacant room, and across the hall, the door wide open, French Jeff and his office were in plain view. Perhaps it was almost too much luck. This room here might be occupied after all, the guest out only temporarily, and likely to return at any minute. He glanced critically around him. There was light enough from across the hall to see. No, it was quite all right. There was no sign of occupancy, no clothing, no belongings of any kind in evidence. And if by any chance a new arrival should be allotted the room, 
it would certainly not be until french jeff in there had been advised and had passed upon the applicant's desirability and there would be time enough then to consider a means of retreat jimmie dale leaving the door no more ajar than would enable him to see readily into the opposite room drew up a chair and coolly seated himself for his vigil the fat little french crook was sprawled back in his desk chair his hands folded over an ample and undulating paunch his feet up and resting on a black handbag that in turn occupied the seat of a second chair the man was fast asleep what was it what was the game had that black handbag guarded by the other's feet anything to do with it watch french jeff at the white rat that was all mother margot had known the minutes passed became quarter hours a half hour more occasionally french jeff stirred uneasily awakened settled himself drowsily and went to sleep again occasionally jimmie dale silently changed his own position what time was it it had been well after ten o'clock when mother margot had come to the sanctuary it must be long after eleven now he began to know not so much a sense of impatience as one of disquiet it was still early yet of course and the hours most likely of all the twenty-four for criminal activities were still to come but somehow the pig-like serenity of the fat frenchman disturbed him still the minutes dragged by another quarter of an hour passed and then jimmie dale suddenly straightened up alertly there was a footstep now on the stairs and now it came along the hall jimmie dale retreated a little from the door his automatic in his hand it was one of the waiters from downstairs the man passed into the other room it's time to go monsieur he heard the waiter say in french french jeff with a grunt roused himself all right emile he said shortly the waiter left the room and went downstairs again french jeff spent a moment at his desk then closed it down picked up the black handbag from the chair extinguished the light and left the room jimmie dale stole out into the darkened corridor french jeff descended the stairs and went out through the side door another minute and jimmie dale too had gained the street and crossing to the opposite side took up the fat proprietor's trail it led to the nearest subway station and an uptown train french jeff got off at the grand central station and jimmie dale followed at a ticket window french jeff bought a ticket and berth on the midnight train for boston jimmie dale for the first time in evidence and now at the other's elbow made exactly the same purchase but on jimmie dale's lips now there was a smile of almost self-pity if i'm going where i think i am confided jimmie dale softly to himself as he followed the other through the gates and to the pullman it'll be a rather expensive ride for the mileage but the gatemen are inviolable and the porter might not have stood for a bribe the berths in the car were all made up the fat little frenchman swished down the ale waddling after the porter jimmie dale finding his berth to be opposite that of french jeff sat down on the edge of it and drew the curtains together in front of him a few minutes passed the train pulled out a wry smile began to settle on jimmie dale's lips at one hundred and twenty-fifth street it had hardened into lines of grim unmirthful chagrin french jeff had undressed and gone to bed and the car was already reverberating to the fat man's snores jimmie dale got off the train end of chapter twenty six
Chapter Twenty Seven of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The Lair. Tight-lipped, Jimmy Dale stared out at the black flying walls as the subway train roared its way back to Lower New York. He'd been properly done. There could be no question about that. But by whom? And why? What did it mean? Intuition, even back there in the White Rat, had warned him that something was wrong, but he would in no way have been justified in being swayed wholly by intuition. He could not in justice blame himself for that. What was it? What was the meaning of it? Something had happened somewhere, but not at the White Rat, and he had been very neatly sidetracked. All that was obvious. Was it Mother Margot? He shook his head. She had never yet double-crossed him, and he did not believe that she would dare to do so. Even her visit to the sanctuary tonight, and her very evident wholesome respect for the Grey Seal, not to say fear, was almost proof in itself, it would seem, that she had not deliberately tried to mislead him. What, then? There seemed to be only one logical explanation left. The Phantom. It would not have been altogether a new move on the Phantom's part, for, while not wholly analogous, the man had, in a way, tried the same game before. The Phantom knew only too well, and to his cost, that there had been a leak somewhere in his entourage, a leak that had brought the grey seal very inopportunely on his heels more than once. But tonight that entourage, in view of the fact that the rest were dead, and that the kitten was being hunted mercilessly by his own fellow crooks of the underworld, was reduced now to Mother Margot alone. Therefore, if the leak still existed, it must exist in the person of Mother Margot, and therefore, as a precautionary measure, if nothing more, should the Phantom be up to some play tonight in which he particularly wanted to guard against any interference, he would logically turn the possibility that the leak still existed to his own advantage, and at the same time, perhaps, test out and even trap Mother Margot. Yes, said Jimmie Dale grimly to himself. I guess that's it. He nodded sharply. He had been sidetracked from his original plan tonight, but the night was not yet ended, and if he had the Phantom to thank for the bubble he had been chasing, the Phantom might yet have reason to remember tonight from another cause, very different indeed. The Phantom clue at Mother Margot's rooms was again his goal. The delay had mattered little. What he had meant to do as he had lain there on the cot in the sanctuary, he meant to do now. Jimmy Dale looked at his watch as he left the subway at Astor Place and headed into the Bowery. It was ten minutes to one. He walked quickly now. It was not far to those two tenements with the narrow areaway between, in one of which Mother Margot had lived since Gentleman Laroque, alias Isaac Shiftel, alias the Phantom, had so mysteriously made his escape from the room which the old hag now occupied, just a little lower down, a little off the Bowery, in one of the East Side's most unenviable neighborhoods. Five minutes brought him to his destination. It was quiet here, save for the distant sounds of night-life from the Bowery, dark, deserted. A light showed sparsely here and there from a window, that was all. He passed the areaway between the two tenements, smiled grimly at the recollection of the officer who had stood guard therein beneath the window on the night the Phantom had escaped, and he, Jimmy Dale, had been so nearly trapped, and slipped unobtrusively into the dark hallway of the further tenement. A moment more, and, masked, he stood listening at the door of Mother Margot's rooms. There was no sound from within. Why should there be? 
even if mother margot according to her own story had not been ordered somewhere else by the phantom she would not be here since he jimmie dale had warned her to keep away there was no sound but the slim sensitive fingers were working tentatively at the knob. this was a little strange the door was unlocked it swung open now silently an inch at a time under his hand he stepped inside and as silently closed the door behind him it was black in here he could not see a yard in front of him but he was familiar a little more than familiar with his surroundings he stole forward to the doorway connecting with the inner room moving without sound as larry the bat in the days of old in the old sanctuary had moved and paused on the threshold it was from here those voices that other night had come here was the mise-en-scene of the phantom clue again he listened there was still no sound Jimmie Dale's automatic was already in his hand, and now from his pocket he took out a flashlight. Still he waited another instant, listening. And then, the round white ray stabbing through the blackness, Jimmie Dale, his face set hard and grim, his lips a straight line, stood staring at the wall opposite him. The phantom clue was a phantom clue no longer. It lay there clothed in tangible, yes, even mocking form, so blatantly did it flaunt now the disclosal of its own existence the flashlight was boring into a great oblong-shaped opening through the wall still jimmie dale stood motionless through his mind in swift lightning flashes swept the oft-repeated admonition of both the toxin and mother margot a trap he'd been told the place was a trap for him was the door of the trap open now a little too invitingly open the door he had never been able to find before patiently and thoroughly though he had searched had this anything to do with what had gone before tonight, with the fool's errand upon which he had run to french jeff and the white rat how could it have and yet his eyes swept the opening and the wall adjacent to it above and on both sides he understood now of course and it brought no sense of self-reproof that though knowing it had existed somewhere here he had not in the times he had searched before been able to find it it was clever, ingenious, a replica almost of the old crime club with its false, movable walls, though here not nearly so elaborate, but perhaps even built by the same man, at that, as one of their outposts, since Clark, alias Wizard Ma, who had been the Phantom's confederate in the murder of Jason Lane, had been a member of that original organization. A dado of cheap painted burlap at the height of some five feet ran around the room, this was surmounted by a wide moulding, and the whole divided into oblong panels by vertical, though narrower, strips of moulding again. It was one of these oblong sections that now had disappeared into the floor, disclosing an inner wall that was obviously the real wall of the room, set back perhaps slightly more than two feet from the false wall with the dado. This made a little passageway within so that while he, Jimmy Dale, might have tapped the entire length of the wall in an effort to discover the opening by the sense of sound, in no place would it have sounded more hollow than in any other. And again, the mouldings covered the joints, and the section slid up and down behind them, so that unless they had been ripped off bodily, it would have been impossible to... His face grew harder. That was what he had meant to do tonight, wreck the room if necessary, through the caution that before had actuated him to the winds. But tonight all lay there open before him, starkly, vauntingly open. It was obvious enough now. The section slid up and down through the floor, and— 
up and down that was what bunty myers had said but bunty myers had said too that she didn't know because it was in the next house that passage there invitingly open now it could only lead to one place then the next house and there was only one next house on this side the other tenement a trap well he'd come for this hadn't he to find the trap no matter what the consequences no matter what the cost if it would but bring him into touch with the phantom he stepped forward now silently across the room and with his flashlight switched off knelt down at the opening the passage in there was very narrow certainly quite long and certainly inky black one could therefore fairly expect that somewhere in the passage between here and the other tenement there would be a light and if so and if it were lighted now it would disclose for the benefit of the quarry any trapper who might be lurking there also if there were a light it would naturally be readily accessible from the entrance here half crouched he leant forward into the opening and felt inside up and down along the edges of the wall his fingers encountered a switch button he pressed it now but instead of a light showing anywhere the movable section of the wall under him began to rise he jabbed at the switch quickly again even as he flung himself clear of the opening and then found the section had receded once more to its original position below the level of the baseboard jimmie dale drew in his breath sharply so that was it the thing was electrically controlled that was plain enough and from the inside there was no concealment of how it was set in motion but how was it operated from within the room he might not have been able in his several previous searches to have located the position of the opening but he was quite certain that had there been a concealed switch say anywhere along the wall under the dado or at the edges of the mouldings he would have found it for his fingers had felt over every inch of that space he shrugged his shoulders well it didn't matter now did it since someone else had supplied the open sesame and since there was no other light his body well back from the opening he reached his hand inside and pointing his flashlight parallel with the passage in the direction of the other tenement flung a beam of light along it it brought no response no answering shot for example that it half expected he risked more now flat on the floor with head and shoulders this time inside the opening flashlight's ray shot out again but this time he could see what was at the other end he could not tell but immediately in front of him the way was clear a series of steps led downward then seemed to reach a level until in perspective from where he lay the roof and the base of the passage merged together the passage then beyond surmise led down under the narrow alleyway to the next house the tenement which was the counterpart of this one here he rose to his feet and cautiously without sound moved forward descending the steps the passage was extremely narrow his shoulders kept brushing the walls on either side at every few steps he stopped to listen his flashlight was out now when he moved it was the sense of touch alone that guided him he reached the level this will be the section of the tunnel directly under the areaway of course and now as the series of steps began again this time leading upward a faint glow of light showed through the darkness and for the first time his ear caught a sound it was like a low strange moaning jimmie dale went down on his hands and knees now as he crawled upward he would be less a target in that position for it was obvious that the other end of the secret passage was open and that the room or the space into which it opened was lighted and occupied also it was no longer a mystery where the voices had come from that had been heard in mother margot's rooms 
Noiselessly he reached the top step. Here the arrangement was the exact duplicate of the other end of the passage. A wall section was open, a lighted room beyond. The moaning, naturally more distinct now, continued unabated. Cautiously Jimmy Dale edged forward until he could see into the room. And then, in an instant, he was on his feet and through the opening, and running toward a man's form that was stretched out on the floor. The kitten! The man's face was grey with the pallor of approaching death, and there was a great crimson blotch over the left side of his shirt where the vest had been torn open, but he roused himself now with almost superhuman energy, staring in most strange eagerness and excitement at Jimmy Dale. "'Who are yous?' he cried out. "'Who in hell are yous with that mask on?' "'It doesn't matter.' said Jimmie Dale gently. The man was dying, and it needed no professional eye to discern that fact. The kitten. Well, even the kitten was a fellow human. It doesn't matter, he said again. Let me try and make you more comfortable, and— It does matter! There was fierce insistence, so fierce that it was almost bizarre, in the man's gasping words. It matters more than anything else, whether a guy that wears a mask is a friend of Laroque's or ain't. You can't do anything for me. I, I ain't got but a few minutes left. If you's a friend of Laroque's, beat it out of here and leave me alone. If you's ain't, I got something to tell you's. Quick, who are you's? Gentleman Laroque, alias the Phantom. The kitten, the last remaining satellite. What did this mean? The man's mind was wandering, perhaps, and yet he seemed coherent enough. "'I think you'd know me best,' said Jimmy Dale simply, "'as the Grey Seal.' The kitten struggled to his elbow. "'The Grey Seal! Prove it! Prove it, for the love of God!' he cried out wildly. "'Maybe they've got him, but if they ain't, yous will. If yous are the Grey Seal, prove it!' There was something of vital, paramount moment here. The man seemed possessed of a hatred and fury that had given him, in his dying condition, an unnatural strength. From the leather girdle, Jimmy Dale took out the thin metallic case that was the receptacle of those diamond-shaped, grey paper seals that had given him his name, and lifting one out, held it up before the kitten's eyes. The man laughed. It seemed to carry a shudder in its depths. It echoed around the room in a strangled, horrible way. "'That's enough!' screamed the kitten. "'You is the guy that's been after him for weeks. You is the guy he's afraid of.' Maybe they've got him, but I ain't taking no chances, for if they ain't, yous will. Damn him! It was Laroque that give me this, in there, in the passage. It was Laroque that plucked me cold and— He caught at his throat, choking, struggling for breath. Laroque? exclaimed Jimmy Dale tensely. Do you know what you're saying? That was Gentleman Laroque who shot you? The kitten clutched at Jimmy Dale's arm, dragging himself up again. "'Yes, I know what I'm saying,' he was whispering hoarsely now. "'Listen, maybe you's heard I was up against it with a gang that was after me. Maybe you's didn't. It doesn't matter. I hit since yesterday. Tonight they nosed me out, and, and I had to beat it for my life. I didn't have much start. I pinched the car, but they got another, see?' I didn't have nowhere to go but here, then. I thought Laroque'd hide me. It was the only chance I had. He fought for his breath, paused and struggled on again, his words coming more thickly and with greater effort. 
I left the car around the corner and came in here. Laroque and Mother Margot was here. I was telling them about it. I thought I'd given the gang the slip, but I hadn't. They came smashing at the door. Laroque didn't say nothing, only he looked wicked when he jumped for the electric wall bracket and gave that brass fitting against the wall a twist. That opened the door on the wall, see? Come on, he says then, to Mother Margot and me. The two of yous, quick. The gang was busting in the door of the room by now, and they saw us. We followed Laroque through the wall, and he pushed the switch inside, and the wall closes up. It, it was black in there. My God, it was black. And Laroque kind of laughs. That was a close squeak, and maybe we ain't safe yet, he says. Mothers, yous and me'll go down to Blind Peter's, since the kitten's been thoughtful enough to bring us a car. And yous, kitten, yous'll go where yous deserves to go for taking any chance and giving me away. Just like that, he said it. And he was laughing. My God, he was laughing all the time. He was overrated the value of your life, kitten, he says, and, and shot me cold. The man with a nervous grip that locked like a vice around Jimmy Dale's arm and shoulder had heaved himself up into a sitting posture. His lips and face were working. Do you understand? He choked. Yes, said Jimmy Dale through tight lips. Quick, gasped the kitten. Listen, I, I ain't got much more time. He thought he'd finished me. I, I guess I'd lost consciousness. Then I heard the gang in here pounding at the wall. They couldn't do me no more harm. I knew Laroque had put me out for keeps and, and he was going to pay for it, see? Pay for it. Pay for it. I crawled to the switch and opened the wall. They made a rush for me, but I gets a chance to speak. They thought I'd got away with some money last night, a, a black box, Banco Santos, but I hadn't. I don't know no more news where it is. See? The kitten's voice was growing weaker. His grip was loosening, the strength ebbing from his fingers. I told him it was Laroque and the woman put up the whole plant and, and that they had the money and that I'd only done what Laroque told me and the proof Laroque and Margot was in the game was this hole in the wall and the passage and that they was running for blind Peters. He caught at his throat. The gang went through the hole there after Laroque ten minutes ago. Blind Peters understand double chance gray seal get him if steeny don't the gray jimmie dale stood up the kitten was dead for an instant he looked around him he seemed most curiously to be possessed of two entities one that rejoiced fiercely over what now seemed a certainty that the phantom either at the hands of the apaches or the kitten in his dying vengeance had set upon the other or failing that through himself, Jimmy Dale, would be finally and irrevocably trapped tonight. The other that looked out as through a strange veil of unreality upon his immediate surroundings. This was the Phantom's lair at the end of the Phantom Trail. End of chapter 27
Chapter Twenty Eight of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Blind Peters. Jimmy Dale stepped swiftly across the room and, with a small steel jimmy which he took from his leather girdle, ripped aside from where it fitted close against the wall the round brass plaque or fitting, technically called a canopy, of the electric light fixture. There was no time to lose, but he could spare an instant for this. Yes, it was as the kitten had said. It concealed an electrical connection, quite apart from the electric light itself, and by giving the canopy a half-turn the contact could be made. He nodded as he turned now in a flash toward the window. He was satisfied. That was how the movable section of the wall was manipulated from within. And the window here, unless his calculations were hopelessly at fault, faced exactly across the areaway, the window in Mother Margot's room. He raised the shade and suddenly, with a low, suppressed cry, wrenched it down again, and leapt for the opening in the wall. In an instant he was inside, and, pressing the switch, the movable section had closed behind him. The police! The window did face Mother Margot's, and, as there had been on the first night that he'd come here, so too to-night an officer was lurking outside there, now in the alleyway. The light streaming out from the window with the lifting shade had disclosed a man in uniform crouched against the wall, and also— even as he had wrenched back the shade, his ear had caught the muffled tread of several men in the hall outside the room, and that, too, was as it had been on the first occasion. He ran now, his flashlight streaming ahead of him through the tunnel, gained Mother Margot's room, and, indifferent now as to whether the movable section here was left closed or not, since it could in no way affect his own movements, and since the tunnel was now an open secret through its discovery by the Apaches, he made no attempt to close it behind him and, as he had done before, when wary of the police here, he slipped out at the rear of the tenement, sped silently across the backyard into the darkness, and disappeared in the lane behind. And thereafter, keeping always when he could to the lanes and alleyways, grudging the sedate though crisp walk when forced out into the open, he went on at top speed. But swiftly as he went, his mind ran the swifter. The police, not at Mother Margot's, but at that other tenement— his own escape had been a sinecure, thanks to the Phantom's secret passage. It would take the police some time to find that movable section in the room where the kitten lay. But he did not understand. Why were the police there at all? They had not followed on the heels of the kitten and the Apaches, for in that case they would have been there much sooner. It was not the sound of the shot that the Phantom had fired, for that had been deadened inside the walls of the passage nor that it seemed possible that any other disturbance made there had been reported to them, say, by the inmates of the tenement, for in that case there would have been commotion amongst the tenants themselves, who would have been swarming about like bees. It was strange. The whole night was strange. He did not understand. He ran on. The point was not vital. It was vital only that he should reach Blind Peter's without delay. Thank God it wasn't far but they had had ten minutes' start, and it was almost certain that neither the Phantom nor the Apaches had gone on foot. Blind Peters. He was not so sure, after all, that men like Steenie Klotz and Red Jack would be able to trap the Phantom there. It was the safest place in the underworld if one knew its secrets, and on that score the Phantom had made no mistake. But Steenie Klotz and his followers were of the lesser breed, the hangers-on, the purely thug element, not of the elite, not of the initiated, and Blind Peters might well be to them but a name, a place whose mysteries were reserved for the upper strata of the criminal realm from which they themselves were far removed. It might well be. 
but against this was the fact that the underworld its aristocracy and its proletariat alike were behind steenie klotz and his companions in their determination to wreak vengeance upon the kitten and with the explanation made of why it was gentleman laroque now instead of the kitten who was the object of this vengeance the phantom might find far else but sanctuary at blind peter's he did not know he knew only that if he were in time the phantom would not only find no safety there but forced to attempt flight again would find no escape and he would be in time he must be it was the end the end the end the words pounded over and over again at his brain as he ran on in either case it was the end to-night what steenie klotz and his pack might not know of blind peters he jimmie dale knew as perhaps few outside blind peter himself knew it was the years of larry the bat the years of smarlinghue the knowledge he had thus garnered the height to which those alter-ego characters of his had risen in the inner circles of crimeland that were bearing fruit now yes he knew blind peters blind peter was a very old and wizened little man of dark-skinned doubtful origin who wore spectacles with lenses that were coloured and that were of the thickness of heavy plate glass and who groped out with hands and stick when he walked and who was not blind he ran supposedly a small general store in one of a block of four houses in a neighbourhood that to speak mildly was unsavoury at best the other three houses were supposedly again lodging-houses and in a sense they were lodging-houses just as in a sense they were anything else one wished to call them but blind peter owned them and that had made blind peter rich or rather a maze-like cavern of vice beneath their cellars had here where sound never reached to the outer air where the cellars above rubbish-filled were a benign and protecting mantle toll from the lusts of the gaming-table toll from the overlords of crime who rented council chambers there toll from the fear-stricken who had fled from daylight and the law toll from every human weakness was paid to blind peter and discreet beyond any of his ilk in the selection of his clientele blind peter's place was safe there was but one entrance and one exit to the back of blind peter's store where none might enter or depart except under the closest scrutiny jimmie dale had halted a queer smile twisted his lips was there well in the old days there had been another entrance guessed at by many but known only to a few of which he as larry the bat then had been one and it was here he was crouched in the darkness before a low basement door that of the house in the block farthest away from blind peter's store behind him was a small backyard and behind that again the lane the door was locked of course but his picklock was at work now and now the door opened slowly gradually wary of a protesting creak jimmie dale closed the door behind him without locking it and descending a short flight of steps stood still to listen he was in the cellar now he could hear nothing either from above or below there would be no guard here this entrance was for emergency only a reserve margin of safety that blind peter held up his sleeve for himself and his intimates it probably had not been used in months and naturally anyone using it at all was in the very fact that the secret was in his possession beyond the necessity of challenge besides a guard of any kind would but scream out aloud to blind peter's entire clientele the fact that this entrance or exit existed nor would one entering by this means if he took but ordinary precautions 
blazon the existence of the entrance to those already below. Blind Peter was far, very far from being a fool. Here in this cellar the entrance was craftily hidden, but below it was still more so. Jimmie Dale's flashlight winked through the blackness. He moved quickly forward to the far corner of the cellar. Rubbish, an untidy heap of kindling wood, the flotsam and jetsam of broken and discarded household effects littered the place. He worked rapidly now, brushing aside a thin, scattered layer of the kindling wood at the edge of the pile, and lifted up a small trap door. It was black below, intensely black. The flashlight sent its ray streaming down a steep flight of steps, and went out. Jimmie Dale nodded sharply to himself. It was as it had always been. These steps led to the rear wooden wall, of a coal bin. But the coal bin would not be inconveniently full, and the front of it was quite open, and in the back of it a board or two could at a touch be moved aside. He began to descend the steps cautiously. Across the narrow little chamber that contained the coal bin was a door leading into Blind Peter's unholy nest. And since that door must exist in order to make this exclusive entrance of any practical avail, a door the existence of which must almost of necessity be a matter of common knowledge to all who frequented Blind Peter's, that door itself must excite no suspicion. Therefore, when it was opened, it exhibited to all but the initiated in Blind Peter's nothing more than an apparently essential adjunct to the establishment, a storeroom that contained boxes of supplies, many of them, and a coal bin. Almost down the steps now, Jimmie Dale paused suddenly, and as suddenly took the remaining ones at a leap. Dull, muffled, the report of a revolver shot had reached his ears. It was echoed by another, still another. The flashlight was in play again. Those boards, yes, here they were. He moved them aside and stepped through into the coal bin, so innocently almost empty. The coal rattled a little under his feet, but the sound was drowned out now by shouts that added their quota of muffled uproar to the quickened reports of the revolver shots, and the sounds were coming nearer, nearer to that door there that opened into this supposed storeroom. The Phantom and the Apaches, it could be nothing else. Steeny Klotz had gained admittance. The law of the underworld was at work. Blind Peter had evidently not dared oppose it. Did the Phantom know of the existence of this exit? A trapped rat, was he fighting for escape this way? Jimmie Dale's lips were a thin line. Well, the Phantom would not escape this way. Whatever the penalty that he, Jimmie Dale, might pay, the Phantom's career ended tonight. That was what he was here for. No matter what happened to himself, the price would be a small and pitiful thing to pay. Tomorrow, no, tonight, the toxin, the woman he loved, she who in her great unselfish courage, ay, and her love, had chosen to risk death alone, to fight out her fight alone, that he too might not be sacrificed, would be free, free from peril, free to live in God's sunshine as— He was at the door now. The sounds from the other side had risen into almost riot noise. The panel here. It used to move a little, so that one intending entrance might first satisfy himself that he was not observed. Yes, it still moved the space of a few inches. He could see through, into a small room, garishly appointed, its roof supported by ornamental rafters from which hung several lanterns of curious antique design, its walls draped with oriental hangings, the whole furnished in a sort of barbaric luxury. It was Blind Peter's private retreat, and naturally again offered a further bulwark and protection against the detection of the hidden entrance. The door opening out on the other side of this room 
and directly opposite the one behind which Jimmy Dale stood was closed, but now suddenly it burst open. Shots, yells, curses rose crescendo in a hideous uproar. A figure reeled in, stumbled, fell upon its knees, and began to drag itself away from the threshold. The old hag! Mother Margot! But Jimmy Dale's eyes rested for but an instant on her. There was another figure, the figure of a man, on the threshold itself now, a man at bay, fighting, pumping his shots from his automatic, cursing as he fought. Gentleman Laroque, alias Isaac Shiftel, alias Limpy Mac, alias the Phantom. Outside, beyond that door, Jimmy Dale could not see. He could only hear, above the shots, the oaths and yells from it seemed a multitude of throats, like the screech of beasts, like animals giving tongue to a bloodlust that was upon them. It was very plain. They had dug the phantom out of wherever he had been hiding, in Blind Peter's here, and had driven him in a running fight to the end of the chain of underground rooms and passages. It was the end. The phantom could go no further, save through the door behind which he, Jimmy Dale, stood. And through that door the phantom, for the toxin's sake, would never pass while he, Jimmy Dale, lived. The end. Yes, but it was ending there on the threshold now. The phantom half spun around and screamed as a bullet struck him, made a desperate effort to slam shut the door and instead crumpled to the floor. A strange, queer look was on Jimmy Dale's face. His jaws were clamped, his features set like iron. The end! Well, he could go now, go the way he'd come, unseen. It was over, the toxin was free, and he too was free, free of hurt or harm, free to the years that stretched ahead where only love and happiness should hold sway, and the— Kill him! Bump em both off! The cursed snitches! Shots seemed to be still pouring a leaden hail into the prostrate form of the phantom on the threshold, as he lay there, sprawled out, a dead thing now. Then a rush. Faces appeared at the doorway. Steenies. The man leveled his revolver at the old hag on the floor as she crawled for protection toward the end of a sort of divan at the side of the room. The mind worked swiftly, swift beyond all measure of time. She was only an old hag, an abandoned thing steeped in her crimes, the last of the phantom satellites. All the rest had gone. It was justice that she should go too. What had he to do with it? The road to life and happiness lay the other way. Suppose she was a woman. Suppose it was murder that would be done in the next second. What had he to do with it? What had— Through the opening in the panel, Jimmy Dale fired. The revolver in Steenie Klotz's outstretched hand clattered to the floor, and the man, with a yell of mingled pain, fury, and surprise, leapt back from the open doorway. And with him, from this new attack, the others took hasty cover, leaving the doorway clear again. Quick! This way, Mother Margot! Jimmy Dale called out sharply. Don't stand up! Crawl! He fired steadily, coolly, sweeping the opposite doorway with his bullets, working with picklock in his other hand at the door behind which he stood. The old hag came crawling, weakly, it seemed, across the floor, nearer and nearer to him. The shots were pouring into the room again, but they were coming at an angle. He laughed a little, without mirth. Steenie Klotz and his men were crouched on both sides of the door, casing out there beyond, of course, and they could not fire in a direct line now without exposing themselves. But how much could they see? The danger would come when he opened the door for Mother Margot, and when he could not for the moment command the other doorway. It would be a race for it then, nothing else. "'You fool!' an inner voice snarled at him. "'Don't you know the phantom is dead? You fool, to have risked this now! You poor, feeble, exotic fool!' 
The old hag was close to the door now. He called to her again. "'When I open the door, jump for it,' he said grimly. "'Are you ready?' He caught a faint, affirmative reply. He fired at the opposite doorway again, then closed the panel, and then with a sudden wrench pulled the door before him halfway open, and, as Mother Margot scurried through, he flung it shut again, locked it, and reaching out in the darkness for the old hag, jerked her forward, making for the rear of the coal bin. She staggered weakly, making a strange, half-crooning noise. If he could win behind the bin to the stairs, there would be comparative safety, time enough at least, to get to the lane above. Blind Peter, if he, Jimmy Dale, knew the man at all, having profound respect for his own skin, would not be taking a personal part in the fight, and those Apaches back there would certainly never find the opening until they had gone for Blind Peter and had either persuaded or forced him to disclose it. An age of time seemed to have passed, though he had reached the rear of the bin now, and now the board swung back, but there was smashing at the door behind, battering at it, raining blows upon it. Just an instant more— if the door would hold for but an instant more, so that when the light poured in they would not see. She was slow. God, how slow she was! He pushed her roughly through the opening, and sprang quickly after her, and as he swung the boards back into place he heard the door crash open. But he was safe now. Safe for a moment, anyhow. "'Quick! The stairs! Right ahead of you!' he whispered. But there was no answer. He stretched out his hand, groping down and around him. Mother Margot lay an inert heap at his feet, his jaws shut with a snap. Where was his margin of safety now? She was either hurt or wounded, or had fainted, and— "'You fool!' snarled that inner voice again, as he picked the old hag up in his arms and began to climb the stairs. End of chapter 28《ハッシュタグのファンタムクルー』はフランク・アル・パッカット。This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The Port of Dawn Muffled voices reached Jimmy Dale's ears from below. He staggered on upward, making what speed he could. It was not easy with this burden in his arms. In the darkness he gained the cellar, and from the cellar emerged on the small backyard, and thence on the lane. Here he drew a great, gasping breath of relief. He was safe so far, but it's still to get away from the immediate vicinity of that cellar entranceway. Blind Peter, at any moment, might solve the problem for Steenie Klotz and his pack. He went on again, running heavily, lurching under his load. Thank God for the darkness. He looked, as he ran, for some place of shelter or hiding. He could not go out into the open street with Mother Margot and Conscious in his arms, certainly not anywhere in this neighborhood nor could he run on indefinitely like this, whether by lane or street. Fifty yards, a hundred, he covered. There were no sounds of pursuit, and now he had no further anxiety on that score, for he was already too far away for them to pick up the trail if he could only find temporary cover somewhere, until Mother Margot's condition, which must necessarily govern his future movements, could be. She was stirring in his arms now uneasily, commencing to mutter incoherent words. He kept straining his eyes to right and left as he ran, and suddenly swerved close up against the left-hand side of the fence. This would do admirably. He could ask for nothing better. There was a shed here, or an outhouse of some kind. He laid Mother Margot down, worked swiftly for a moment with the door-lock, then picking her up again, carried her inside and laid her upon the floor. But now, her senses evidently almost fully back, she raised herself quickly to her elbow and tried to struggle to her feet. "'It's all right,' said Jimmy Dale reassuringly. 
We're safe now. Are you badly hurt? Let me see. He bent down and played his flashlight upon her. And like a man dazed and stunned, then stood swaying on his feet. The flashlight trembled in his hand, throwing wavering beams across the floor. And then he was on his knees, and with a great cry he had gathered her into his arms, and was calling out hoarsely, calling her name over and over, a man unhinged almost, with the mad uplift that had surged upon him. "'Marie! It's you! The toxin! Marie! Marie!' The hooded shawl had fallen from her. The grey, tangled wig was awry. The toxin! Marie! And he had not known!' He had known only that in some character here in the underworld she had been bravely striving to fight out her battle alone, just as she once had a silver mag. Silver mag, Mother Margot, and he had thought that Smarlinghue was unknown to Mother Margot. She was crying softly. Jimmy, she whispered. Dear Jimmy, I, I was afraid that I was saying goodbye to you for, for always in the sanctuary tonight. He held her closely. His face was buried in her hair. His shoulders heaved, as though a strong man sobbed. It was a long while before he answered her. "'I know. I know now,' he said at last. "'I didn't understand then. How could I? I'd investigated Mother Margot, and she had been in existence long before you left me that night in the boat on the East River. If it hadn't been for that, I might—' She stroked his face with her hand. Very gently, very tenderly. Yes, she said. But I was always Mother Margot, after Silver Mag. I was Mother Margot when they forced me into hiding the time before this. Don't you remember in the boat, Jimmy, that I would not tell you even then, even when Clark was dead, and you thought everything was all right again, how or where I'd lived all through that time? Yes, I remember, said Jimmy Dale. And then, with a quick, anxious cry, "'And I remember now that you've been hurt, wounded, I'm afraid, and need—' "'No,' she said, and shook her head. "'It is true that I was hit with something, a heavy stool that one of those gangsters threw when the fight first started at the upper end of Blind Peter's cellars, and it made me a little dizzy and giddy, perhaps. But I'm not hurt. I'm afraid I only fainted, Jimmy, just—just like a woman.' She laughed a little bravely, tremulously, as she looked around her. "'I know you said we were safe now, and I know that the Phantom is dead. But I'm all right again, and I'm able to go on. We can't be very far away from—' "'We're safer here just now, quite safe,' Jimmy Dale answered. "'If we went out, we might only invite a chase and have to run for it, and you haven't got your strength back yet.' And—he too laughed a little tremulously now— Besides, I want you, like this, Marie, like this for a little while. Her head was on his shoulder now. He brushed back the hair from her forehead and kissed her and laid his face against hers. Like this, her voice broke a little. God is very good, Jimmy. I, I did not dare to hope that it would be like this when I sent you to the right rat tonight. That was a plant said Jimmy Dale, a little ruefully. Why did you send me there? She drew slightly away from him, so that she could lift her hands and clasp and hold his face between them. What else could I do, Jimmy? she said, with a catch in her voice. You, you were so persistent. I had to get rid of you. 
I knew you were going to those rooms tonight. You had told me so. Well, the phantom, or the voice, had ordered me to be in the hallway of the other tenement at half-past twelve. I knew then that there must be some connection between the two tenements, which would account for the voices that had heard when I had been alone in the rooms where I was supposed to live. But I didn't know how or where. It was certain, though, that if the phantom brought me that far tonight, he would bring me all the way. You see, he was at the end of his rope, nearly. There were only the kitten and myself left. Well, I meant to end it tonight, with the help of the police, and— The police! Jimmy Dale smiled strangely. It was you, then, who were accountable for the police. Yes, she said. But I had first to get you out of the road, or you would almost certainly have been trapped in those rooms, either by the phantom or the police. I hadn't the least idea of what French Jeff might be doing tonight, but his reputation made him a likely subject for anything, and I felt sure that once set on his trail with the idea that the phantom was mixed up in it too, he would watch him until something happened, which, since I expected nothing to happen, would mean all night. I don't see why you didn't. He went to bed on the midnight train to Boston, said Jimmy Dale grimly. She laughed a little now still holding his face captive with her hands. And then, abruptly, her voice was grave and serious again. "'Just before going to the other tenement at half-past twelve, she said, "'I notified the police to be there at one o'clock, if they wanted Isaac Shiftel, and if they came before, they would only ruin their one chance of getting their man. I needed that half-hour to find out all I could, to get to the bottom of the phantom's secret.' and to make sure at least of where he lived in that other tenement, so that there could be no possible means of escape for him. And I wanted that much time in case he was late in keeping his appointment, and so that I would be sure to be with him, and make sure that he did not escape. I—I am not sure that I expected to—to to live through it myself. If he had any suspicion aroused, it— Her voice broke suddenly. But—but but he hadn't, Jimmy, and— and you must know what happened afterward, since you, too, went to Blind Peter's. Yes, said Jimmy Dale, simply. I know. And I know a great deal more now. I know now that the night I caught you, as I thought double-crossing Limpy Mac, you were trying to save what you could of old Mrs. Kinsey's money. And I understand now that the reason you did not know when I was wounded was because it happened at the time when you, as Mother Margot, were away. And that night in the tunnel at Morley's place— when you wouldn't let me show any light or come near you. You were Mother Margot, weren't you? Yes, Jimmy, she whispered. For a moment he was silent, and then suddenly he cried out, and in his voice was the yearning of the days and weeks when it had seemed this moment could never be. Marie! 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 He was holding her close to him again, his arms around her, her face against his own and neither spoke now. Here in the shed it was very dark and very silent, but radiant in their souls was the glad sunrise of a new life, and in their hearts was song, like the song of springtime, a song of great joy and of peace, for they had come at last to the port of dawn. The End Of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard First published in 1922. Recorded by Anna Simon for LibriVox.org in Nijmegen 2016.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.